people are feeling more and more comfortable sharing about their personal struggles publicly. I hope that this episode validates your experience as you navigate all your identities as an entrepreneur. This is Power of the Horse with your host, Hunter. And Hugh. How's how's the horse treating you today, Hugh? How's the horse treating me today? Uh, let me go over to the website, which is offbrandhorse.com, no punctuation. Zero punctuation, if you will. And uh, let me see, see what's been happening. Well, I haven't updated the front page. Um, I did think about doing it because there has been a significant update on the site, which is the addition of a new podcast. In mm. fact, the very podcast you're listening to. All the links on the front page or from like 2018, so yes, I gotta say, yeah, the uh, uh, the way it's laid out is a little confusing. I'd maybe you think about changing that. But, you mean you know, the, not, the not front my page? Side. Yeah. Oh, that's that's in that's intentional. That's that's exactly how I want it to be. Is like a little bit obtuse. So you're enticed by like a quote and a picture, and that leads you to something. That's the whole point. And I, I refuse to update it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so we have added a new podcast, and it is this podcast. You can see it's a beautiful artwork um, on the website or on your podcast app. But if you want to see it mm-hmm. um, in high fidelity, you can go to the website. Uh, so that is the most recent thing that has happened in the most recent week uh. on the website Off Brand Horse. But that's not all I have to say about the website Off-Brand Horse. No. So as our listeners may or may not know, and as you probably should know, our website is hosted by Squarespace. Mm. I think I've even mentioned it on this uh, podcast before. And uh, I would like to take a second just to ask you what your conception of Squarespace is. Like what is the product they're selling? What is their angle? You're asking me right now? I'm asking you right now. Uh, I'm assuming you've heard uh, a billion Squarespace testimonials on various podcasts over the years. Uh, I think it's just like web hosting, right? I don't, I don't like to give anything when I, th- I think it's just... But what's their angle? Like, it's not just web hosting. How are they selling it? What are they selling you? Well, I think they're trying to sell like uh, ease of uh, uh, like creation. Ease of creation? Anything else? Uh, you don't remember any of the copy? <laughs> it's been a long time since I've had to. I've, I've forced myself to listen to any podcast that had those kind of ads on it. So I can't say I really do. Besides that, um, it's cheap. I don't know. 
Well, it's probably not cheaper than doing it yourself and finding like minimal hosting for the actual content of the website. Like if you were just mm. paying for a domain name and server space yeah. and you were programming the website yourself and yes. uh, using WordPress or something, be probably significantly cheaper. Yes. Um, obviously, they need to make money. That is that is the service. And they have invested in infrastructure in order to give you a platform to easily create websites on mm-hmm. that they need to pay for themselves. Mm-hmm. So naturally, it's more expensive. I would say it's it's reasonable in the sense that you, you don't really think about it. You, you pay that one-off fee every year, a uh-huh. couple of hundred dollars Australian, and that includes the domain hosting and everything. But yes, you have identified at least one of the selling points of Squarespace, which is ease of use. Here's an, here's an easy way to make a beautiful website, right? Mm. So I actually went back and watched some uh, old Squarespace uh, advertorial content. Not like Squarespace produced ads, but Squarespace funded and controlled natural advertising embedded in someone else's video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, we're brought to you by Squarespace. Hey, yeah, exactly. When I make you buy a, a website that's about having sex with children, I use Squarespace. Uh, hey, 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 too pedophile. soon. <laughs> <laughs> the corpse isn't even cold. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what Phoebe Herbert sounds like. I can't even do his voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just collecting vintage media. <laughs> it's all very innocent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even know what was in those boxes. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um. Anyway, so I went. I went back to a channel that I remember having native Squarespace ads. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And that channel is. Um, the, the James Hoffman coffee channel that I spoke about on episode one of this podcast. Mm, the one in which I got my coffee uh, technique from. Yes. So <laughs> you, you. You, you know the, I, the, I know the video. I know the channel exists. I've not watched any of the videos. So. Uh, okay. So you don't even know what the guy looks like or sounds like. No, you sent me a video link and then you're like, <laughs> if you don't want all this information, here's how to do this. And then I was like, okay, okay I right. don't have to watch this. So. Nailed it. Good work. <laughs> all right. So um, I watched one of the videos. I searched Squarespace on his channel and because mm-hmm. uh, he, he flags quite clearly when he's doing an ad read mm-hmm. ethically. And it's, it is in a separate chapter on the video. He's very clear about it. He's transparent. Uh-huh. Um. I'm not exactly sure of the process that you have to go through to get your ad approved when you're actually reading it yourself because I mm. don't think they're reading word-for-word Squarespace copy because I think Squarespace wants them to adapt it a little yeah. bit to their own style so it feels natural. But obviously, it's probably a back-and-forth process. They have they get final approval on it, presumably. Yeah. And the one thing he says pretty much every single time, I watched a couple so I can kind of tell that he's rephrasing it a little bit, but he's like sticking to the pitch pretty closely. And I remember that this point is covered in in pretty much every single video. And I've written two of them down verbatim, just just this section of it. Okay. So he he introduces Squarespace, talks about the beautiful templates, the mm-hmm. fact that it works on every device. And then mm-hmm. he says, there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to patch, upgrade, install. It's all taken care of, and there's 24-7 email support. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> uh-huh. uh, another version of that same concept, building it with Squarespace, it being the website, means it's really easy, it's not complicated, it's not frustrating, there's nothing to patch, nothing to install. All of that is taken away. I think it's a very clear message that they're sending. Yeah, e- easy to use. And that's that's consistent with their own produced ads and the Squarespace ads that you hear on podcasts. They all say that. Mm-hmm. That's that's the selling point of Squarespace, is that it's just plug and play, basically, in website form. It's removing the barrier between you and making your beautiful website. You don't have to worry about everything. You just make it. It's going to work on every device. It's, mm-hmm. it's not going to pester you about having to install or upgrade anything. They take care of the back end. You just make sure the front looks nice, right? That's all you need to do. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they limit what you can do. So most of the time it looks at least professional, even if it's not as customizable as you would like. And that's mm. what sold me in the first place because I I didn't, I, I probably could have been able to learn sufficient uh, web design skills to do it myself, but it's a lot of hassle and you're paying them to take away that hassle. Mm. So um, I was adding Hour of the Horse to the podcast. And um, to do that, you basically make a new blog. And then in each blog post, you uh, upload the audio content. Mm-hmm. And then you configure the RSS feed. And then you can connect that up with Apple Podcasts. And that's how it all works, right? So you're basically making a blog for each podcast. Sure. And our website is configured with a lot of separate blogs. And I wanted to distinguish them from one another somehow because they all have the same uh, fonts. And I don't think you can really change fonts between the different blogs, which is fine because that, that creates a certain coherence. But I did want to change the color of the headings so that each each blog felt a little bit distinct from one another and the color kind of matched its icon, right? Mm-hmm. So the Project A plus one when our logo was like pink, mm. the the heading was pink or purple when that changed, right? Mm. And, and like for Christ's sake, it was yellow because the logo is like yellow, right? Right, right. But in order to do that, there wasn't like a, a embedded feature in the Squarespace UI. You had to put in custom CSS code. Mm. And it had been so long since I had added a new blog to the site that I'd forgotten exactly how to do it, right? So I began like searching, how do I do this? And I found like a video and... Um, I watched the video and the person was like, oh, if you want to change the color of any one of your blogs, you just click like the paint brush icon in the top right-hand corner and change the color. I was like, oh, that's great. They finally updated the site. So now it's easy to to just change that without using any code. Mm. So I look at my Squarespace window uh, and I was thinking like, what paintbrush? There's no paintbrush. What are you you talking about? And um, and I I go back and forth. I'm like, did I did I miss something? Was why is my Squarespace completely different to this other person's Squarespace? Mm. So I go digging around, and I discover that I'm on version seven point zero. Okay. Okay. And there's a version seven point one. Ah, weird. So this is already a red flag because you shouldn't have to worry about version numbers if their copy is to be believed. Like what you signed up for is not to have to worry about any of this stuff. But like if it's hassle-free and I can just click a button and then it will be 7.1, 
you know, that's not a big deal. That's okay. Um, but it turns out it's not hassle-free. <laughs> so you ready for this? If, okay. if I want to get access to these new features, technically they're still supporting 7.0, but obviously they're, they're doing nothing but maintaining it because they've shifted everything over to whatever new platform they're using on 7.1. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the way that they've managed this upgrade uh, has inhibited them from from just doing it naturally behind the scenes. Maybe there was an understandable technical limitation, but I think the way they've handled it is pretty damn poor. So mm. if I actually want to transfer the whole website now to the 7.1 platform, this is like from 7.0 to 7.1, this doesn't even sound like a significant change, right? It's not like mm. version 8 of Squarespace. This is like 0.1 of a version. Ah. Uh. There is no way of just transferring it to the new system with like a button and now the new site has all access to the new features. Sure. What you actually have to do is sign up for a new trial. So I'm already on a subscription with Squarespace. Right. That's not transferable. Okay. So even just paying the money to them is not transferable. I have to sign up for a new trial, make a new website, from scratch on the new system. Copy all the text from the old one, save all the images, and then basically rebuild the whole website again. Mm-hmm. And then you have to cancel the old one and mm-hmm. um, then pay for a full new subscription on this system, which mm-hmm. is fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, that's bizarre. Given that that's, that's the whole point of Squarespace is not to do any of this bullshit. And they've done nothing to like mitigate the hassle. Mm-hmm. Right, they haven't. I didn't even know about it. Like, th- I wasn't informed. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And like, it's about to be renewed in like two weeks. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I'm going to bother. But it's made me want to probably invest in moving away from Squarespace. Wow. In a You're year, betraying the so brand. I might, I might leave the website on seven point zero. Okay. And then um, do something with WordPress next year. So wow, that's just my long rant about. Fucking Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I think it's a pretty um, uh, axiom you take into everyday life, which is never trust any product that is being advertised on a podcast. Yes. So I've been having a lot of trouble sleeping recently. Me too. Uh, I was going to talk about that as well, actually, but I'd oh, like perfect. to hear about your issues. <laughs> I guess I've been having trouble sleeping my entire life. So I like to try various things to help me sleep better. And, uh, you know, somewhat recently, uh, uh, certain types of THC products have been legalized in the in, in Minnesota, okay? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what? I've, I've heard that sometimes, uh, you know, uh, THC is, it can be a, a effective sleep aid, right? Uh, so recently I've been taking, <laughs> not that much, just like uh, uh, 2.5 milligrams of uh, like a THC gummy before I go to bed. Actually, it actually, actually is pretty effective. It does help me sleep better. The only problem is, like, for the first couple of days, I was like, okay, great. I feel fine. You know, I'm sleeping okay. Everything's fine, you know. Today, I was like, I just felt completely out of it all day. And I was like, this is probably a bad sign. <laughs> Maybe I should stop taking this stuff. Um, also, I took a TAC gummy before we started this podcast as well. So nice. we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So has that been the most effective sleep aid that you've tried thus far? 
Uh, I would say that uh, I've been using an antihistamine for a while, but. Uh, oh, that's weird. I didn't know. Uh, I, I guess yeah. I guess they do make you drowsy, don't they? Yeah, but one of one of my friends told me that apparently there's some study that came out uh, where uh, they, uh, if you take uh, particularly the, the particular one I was taking too much, uh, <laughs> it can increase your risk for dementia. And I was like, okay, <laughs> so, oh nice. Yeah, so, so sometimes I'll use uh, I'll use it on occasionally, on occasion as well. But yeah, I, I've also had a, a tough time sleeping of late. I probably won't be sourcing any THC to solve it because I don't. I don't think my sleep issues are as serious of, as yours. It's still pretty limited in uh, in in Australia, is it not? That's true. But um, historically, I've never really had much trouble sleeping. Mm. I definitely have the problem of like if I'm just sitting in the dark alone with my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I'll keep myself awake forever, so mm-hmm. I do have to like distract myself with podcasts and stuff. When I was a teenager, I was like that, but uh, that uh, went away as I got older. Mm. What's your go-to sleep podcast right now? Uh, no such thing as a fish. What is that? It's a British podcast. Uh, it's an official spin-off of QI, the quiz show. Ah, okay. And it's the people who, I don't know if they still really work actively on QI, but they they did it when the podcast launched. They're the people behind the scenes who do all the research. Mm-hmm. And the premise of the show is each of them comes in with their favorite fact that they've found that week that isn't going to make the show. Mm, okay. And they just talk about it. And it's like incredibly non-demanding and it doesn't really matter if you fall asleep halfway through. Sure. I probably listened to the first 10 minutes of them all a hundred times or something. The psychotic way I dealt with that particular issue when I was a kid is I just had a couple of podcasts that I would just listen to over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, doesn't sound healthy and was not healthy. <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid, I did it for pleasure specifically. Like I really loved listening to like um, books mm. on cassette. Me Old too. British sitcoms. Like I used to listen to like, Audio versions of Faulty Towers on cassette. That's over bizarre. And over again. <laughs> it is kind of bizarre. I used to listen to His Dark Materials. Did you read that when you were a teenager? No, no, that was after my time. I know of it. Mm. But I'm pretty sure it was after my time, right? Uh, the first one it's got Philip published Pullman, pretty... But it's, it feels like it's a 2000s thing, right? It got published, I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, 95. Oh, 95 so, is that yeah, okay. that, that's, so I, that's like I, that's like the ideal for your time. In fact. Yeah, I could have got into that, yeah. <laughs> um, I wasn't really big into that type of thing at that mm, age. I definitely was. I, w- I was more likely to listen to Star Wars Expanded Universe cassettes. <laughs> okay, okay. Read by Anthony Heald, my favorite. Uh, I, 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 I liked uh, Harry Potter on cassette. I listened to uh, number two mm, of that. The Stephen Fry ones? Speaking of QI, no, has he done? Oh no, has he done? Harry yeah, Potter? yeah, he he famously did the the classic UK ones. Really? Uh huh. Who does oh. the American one? Uh, let's see. I don't know. It was some other guy. Was it an American guy or a British? No, guy? no, it's a British guy. Maybe it was Stephen Fry. Let's see. Jim Dale. That's it. They must have different ones. Jim Dale. I've never Jim heard of Dale. 
Stephen Fry would be a better fit. Anyway, the Philip Pullman, the uh, historic materials, uh, audiobooks were more like audio dramas and that they had like a full cast where Pullman himself, uh. I believe, read the narration and all the like descriptive text, but they had voice actors playing all the different characters. It's kind of cool. They're really, they're really great. <laughs> I love that series so much when I was a when I was a, a teenager. Sometimes I'm like tempted to go back and read them, but you know I'm sure like, this is like some stupid kids literature. I guess it's like the <laughs> benefit to having a child is to be like, oh well, look at the thing that I liked when I was a kid. Yeah, but uh... um, do you know what my probably my single favorite cassette that I mm. listened to as a kid was? What was it? Actually, there's two, um, but anyway, I, I won't worry about that. The main important one for our purposes is the um, abridged Lost World by Michael Crichton ah. as read by Anthony Heald again. <laughs> basically, basically, Anthony Heald was your, like, uh, FDR. <laughs> You're, like, listening to him on the radio every night. <laughs> He's speaking directly <laughs> to your... <laughs> Do you think he can convince you to kill someone if you if you're like <laughs> you just yeah, hear that I'm, voice? I'm, I'm a sleeper agent, and I think he'll just gonna... <laughs> that's 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 your person of like the number station. Yeah. When he says uh, Phantom <laughs> Doubleday Audio Publishing presents Star Wars, I'll suddenly wake up. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> you watch Silence of the Lambs, and you just wake up in a fugue state like three hours later, just like. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what other cassettes I had. I had the Page Master, though I didn't listen to that one as often. What was that? Uh, it's just some shit. <laughs> some shit. Yeah, it's like a, a book about a kid who goes into other books in the like magic library. They made it into a movie with Macaulay Culkin, I think. Which I don't think maybe I've seen it. Wait, so they fucking ripped off Gumby? I guess so. But yeah, Harry Potter, the second one, I listened to more than any other because we had I had that one on cassette, like I owned it. And then I would just uh, continually check out the uh, Bismarck Dark Materials books on uh, from the library on CD. Uh, eventually, I think I ripped them into iTunes and uh, would listen to it that way. Wow. Yeah, those, those audio, like, uh, book audio drama versions are really, really good. And I, I recommend them to all of our uh, 13-year-old uh, audience members, I guess. <laughs> well, this isn't strictly the same thing, but effectively it is. Um, I was a big fan of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy original radio shows. Mm. And I think that is the best incarnation of I think I listened the to brand, honestly. Maybe the first one. The narrator is really good. Like he he captures Douglas Adams like omniscient wry uh, narration style so well. And actually I think like Arthur Dett is like the guy who plays Arthur Dent, rather, is 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 the perfect Arthur Dent. Mm. And in a rare uh, instance, they used the same actor when they did the television adaptation. Oh, that's unusual. Because obviously when you're casting for the radio, you're not yeah. considering their appearance whatsoever. But he also perfectly looks like you imagine Arthur Dent to look like. Wow, that's so strange. And, like, Martin Freeman is, like, modelled on, on him, basically. So Sure. Anyway, I can't imagine that uh, going back and reading those books would be that that uh, fun. But I don't, I don't know. No, I didn't. I don't think the books are very good. I don't think they probably aged that well. 
Uh, it's probably something you need to kind of read when you're like, you know, 15 or 16. Yeah, it's really very much like early teenager when you're getting into reading. And I feel like I feel like there's something a little there's something a little suspect if you're like as old as we are. You're like, oh, I love uh, <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guy. It's like, okay. <laughs> I kind of like the unplayable Infocom adventure game that mm. uh, he co-designed. I feel like I, I, I would have more desire to go back and watch, like, especially because I didn't really watch the TV show, but all the, like, Body Python, I mean, we talked about doing that. <laughs> but yeah. uh, both the uh, both the Flying Circus, which I, I've only watched, like, maybe a handful of episodes of. Obviously, like, I grew up watching those over and over and over and over again. Not all of them, just whatever was available um, at the video shop and also what, what the network was showing at the time. But um, I, I hadn't revisited them for some years, and I think maybe within the last decade, mm. I I rewatched the entire thing or watched the entire thing um, from start to finish for the first time. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like rickety stuff along the way, <laughs> I will say. But that's that's kind of the charm of it, right? Because it's like kind of uh, it's it's more like experimental than like a just a tight like oh this is all gonna be really funny stuff, you know? Oh uh, yeah, but there's also just sketches that are just bad. Like it's mm. it doesn't feel like oh this is like experimental and a bit interesting. It's just like oh this is just a bad sketch that we're stuck mm. with for a little while. But at least that. They, the fact that they're not like beholden to like the traditional format yeah. of sketches means that they often don't really outstay their welcome, even if they're terrible. All I have to do is wait like uh, ten minutes and you'll get something else. Yeah, it'll like it'll like they won't even bother to come up with an ending. It'll just like transition yeah. into something else, which was part of what they were innovating. You know, in contrast to like a Saturday Night Live sketch where you're like, "This is a terrible sketch," <laughs> and then twenty minutes later, you're like, "Yeah, it's." Still a terrible sketch. Uh, remember, remember, remember when we watched that? I do. I, I remember we committed uh, to watch Saturday Night Live every week, and we made it through <laughs> one episode, like three. No, we did a was couple. Was it three? It was. It was. A, it I was think a it was few. two. I, no, I it think was it was two. more than. I think it was more than that. I think it was two and a half max. I don't think we made it to a full three. We did way more than uh, uh, than that. Did we really? I think it was at least. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> it's always it's 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 such an interesting phenomenon. It's so funny. Like I feel like now it's like who is on this show? Like no one cares. But like it, you know, for the last like what like forty years, it's been like that the uh, proving ground of film comedy stars. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's because like film comedies kind of like dry it up, you know. But it's been a legitimate star maker. Yeah, but it, it feels like they've lost that quality. I think the landscape is just different now. That's I don't part think of it, it necessarily speaks to the show because what you hear very often is like, you know, don't necessarily judge SNL from what you see now. But I'm sure if you would back, I, I'm sure if you would back, it's just as bad. If I had to to guess. I mean, there are some sketches that I, I've watched. I was like, yeah, that's pretty funny. Like, there's this one sketch with um, uh, John Belushi playing like uh, uh, Captain Kirk, and they're like taking it apart of the Enterprise because it's like the last episode. Mm. That was that was pretty amusing. <laughs> but I, I will say, like every single time, almost without exception, maybe I'm not sure if it is every single time, but it may as well be. It feels like that um, mm. every time I've I've heard about like a classic SNL sketch from any prior era. Mm-hmm. And I've gone back and actually watched it. I'm like, <laughs> this is as bad as it is now. I don't get why this is funny. And and, and a recent example um, that I mentioned to you before was mm-hmm. was the 
what is it? Fritz and Ritz, the two weightlifting guys. Do you remember their names? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't the remember Dana their names. Carvey. I don't remember their names. Schwarzenegger. I don't think it's, fr- think it's Fritz and Ritz. So. It's not Fritz and Ritz. It's something like that. It's two German. <laughs> I think one names of them said D something. <laughs> I'll, I'll get up. I'll get up. I'll get up. <laughs> but I, I went back and watched that sketch. I watched a few of the original sketches because. I was watching the the Conan O'Brien series where he got Dana Carvey back and the other guy to do like a table read of a script that they never produced mm. um, for a movie adaptation. Hans and Franz, that's it. Hans and Franz, there we go. Fritz and Ritz. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, you talking about the fucking Ritz brothers now, bro? <laughs> so let's get into it. <laughs> but I went back and watched it and there is no joke beyond like, oh, it's it's these slightly effeminate German guys making fun of Arnold that's Schwarzenegger. Not like, that's not like 90% of the humorous. It's like, oh, look at these gay guys. Like, that's it. It's like, what? Yeah, there's no joke and there's like two catchphrases that they alternate between and that's yeah, it. Yeah, they just repeat over and over again. And it's insane that it became such a cultural touchstone that Arnold Schwarzenegger like referenced it when he was governor, when he said the girly man thing or whatever he said. I didn't know that at the time, only recently discovered it from watching these sketches, but that actually originates from the Hans and Franz sketches. Wow. Because Arnold Schwarzenegger did appear in one or two of them eventually because he was mm-hmm. fond of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, that's that's my experience with every single Saturday Night Live sketch. And it is, it is funny that you just have this machine that does attract, you know, relatively talented people. They do go on to have careers. Yeah. Some of them have done good stuff elsewhere from SNL, but the actual product is horrendously yeah, it's bad. Terrible. It doesn't matter how talented you are, it seems. Like they can make you a star, but they can't make you good on the actual show. Mm. Um, and I just find that like fascinating, just genuinely fascinating, especially the task they set themselves to fill 90 minutes live each week in the worst possible fashion, which is like mm. it's got to be fresh and spontaneous so you're not allowed to learn the lines even though mm. you are reading a script it's not it's not fresh and spontaneous in the sense that they improvise it's mm. fresh and spontaneous in the sense that they have to look away from each other's eye lines in order to read the cue card and i don't know how anyone thought that that is like the formula for a great like variety comedy show that you do every week and like you overwork the fucking entire cast and crew from Wednesday through Saturday. You know, by all accounts, yeah. they're in like constant crunch mode to use yeah. video game industry terminology. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I don't know what it's like these days, but I think for the majority of its history, it was like that. Everyone was mm. working themselves to death. Mm. And I, I guess they acquire a form of Stockholm syndrome. And so so does like the rest of the country when they <laughs> watch it and it somehow becomes something with actual cultural cachet. I, I don't mm-hmm. get it. It's it's fascinating. But it is it's, bizarre. It's bizarre. Even like the some of the pre-film sketches that they do, I've seen some of them that aren't bad. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. A, that's I can identify that as like a decent, you know, yeah, journeyman like sketch. Yeah. But then when you watch the actual show, that you just can't translate that to the live format because they can't they can't transfer between sets very quickly. So they have mm. to like stretch out the sketches, whether the sketches warrant them or not, and usually they don't. Mm. But I think we were planning at one point, maybe idly, to do a SNL podcast where we went through and watched every episode. <laughs> that would be so funny. <laughs> we should do that. I, I would love like 
doing all the research about everything to do with that show and going through that. It would be like a real slog, but it is, it's such a fascinating cultural phenomenon. Everything besides the actual product is, is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I also enjoy hearing about like, you know, the infamous like stuff or like, uh, like Steven Seagal was like an asshole and stuff like that. Like those stories yeah, are yeah. so entertaining, but like actually watching the show is like, I don't think so. I mean, the funniest, the funniest thing to me is that it became like this like political, uh, like liberal touch point after Trump got elected. There's something just so like <laughs> off funny to me about that. It's just like, how of our institutions have failed? Yeah, what was it? Like the first 20 minutes of every episode is like a, a cold, open uh, political But how, how how far like has the, has our country, has my country fallen where it's like, yes, SNL is, this is where politics are conducted. Like, Oh, I, I forgot that there is actually one genuinely, consistently really funny thing that was on SNL mm. and was live. And that was... Uh-huh the Weekend Update segment by Norm MacDonald. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there was that. <laughs> but that speaks more to Norm than it does anything else and his co-writers. And didn't he get uh, cared from it for something? He did. What was the story um, Supposedly for making too many OJ jokes mm. and, um, like, the head of the network was friends with OJ. That's pretty funny. <laughs> it's too bad that he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch his uh, final uh, stand-up? <laughs> no, I know that you did, though. And, uh, I tried you know, to. I couldn't get. Good. I couldn't get beyond like four minutes of it. It was. It was rough. Not that I was like sad about his death. Yeah, it wasn't that that great. And he was like making like quite re- regressive jokes as well. Mm. That's sad. But it, it has a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. No, the only comedy specials I've watched uh, somewhat recently are all those fucking Bo Burnham specials we watched. All those? We watched two. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, that, all of those seems uh, appropriate given the task at hand. We forced yeah. ourselves to watch two, just to be clear, for mm. Project A+. <laughs> what else did we watch from that? We watched the... I remember we watched Pete, the Pete, Pete Davidson, Davidson stand-up. That was, yeah. <laughs> that was funny in the sense of it being like, <laughs> what's funny about this? Another thing that had like no jokes at all. So like maybe on balance, Bo Burnham as a person and a performer is more annoying than Pete. Oh, Davidson. way more annoying because Pete, Pete but, Davidson's like like not, there's nothing to him, you know. It's like watching nothing. Bo Burnham's like actively <laughs> irritating. Yeah, yeah, but like if if you look at it from a, like the perspective of craft or effort. Um, I think one of them put more effort into their stand-up specials than the other. <laughs> well, yes, but effort effort is, you know. <laughs> uh, God, man, I just remember watching Inside. That's like one of the worst things that's, that's ever been made. I do remember watching Inside. I'll take anything that Pete Davidson did over that. Which podcast, YouTube show, or Substack has the best paid subscription model, in your opinion? 
you mean in terms of like the individual shows or not in terms of the quality of like the the, the publicly released show and i am talking about okay. things that do go out publicly but also have a patreon and when okay. you sign up for the patreon you get access to mm-hmm. other features and bonus content and whatever mm-hmm. because like up front i need to confess that i've never like signed up to a patreon in my life and i've never like contributed to a podcast or anything I signed up for to a couple of Patreons. Uh, only I am subscribed to one now. So, but from your experience, having subscribed to at least a couple, mm-hmm. what makes a good version of that? Uh, well, I think uh, only having like one paywall level is good, or like one where you maybe you could have the option to contribute more, but you only have like one reward that you're giving out. You know? So you don't have multiple tiers. Yes. I think that is something that I've always preferred, obviously. Because pretty much everyone that I've actually looked at has had multiple tiers. Mm. Seems to be like the standard. Just that, uh, yeah, heavy, heavy tiers that are very distinct from each other. I, I don't, I don't particularly like that. Mm. Um, and the only podcast that I subscribe to now, which is the Age of Deploying podcast, has the best bottle words. A only two dollars a month. <laughs> And uh, B, it's just, you know, it's not an overwhelming amount of content. But like maybe once a month, he do, the guy does this uh, little dispatch trick, answers questions and talks about stuff he's been researching and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's like the, that's like the perfect thing. It's like two bucks a month. You know, I like the show a lot. I feel, you know, glad to contribute to this guy being able to do this. Yeah, well, I think the dominant incentive for me, in fact, the only incentive when I've actually explored the the paid tier of anything like this mm. is that I want to support the show. And basically it's like a donation. Yes. A, a sign of goodwill. I'm not a good enough person to have uh, actually done that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm asking you this because I'm relying on something behind the paywall to push me over the paywall. Mm. Like I'm I'm maybe like halfway up the wall in, in terms of my goodwill. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy to climb this ladder halfway, but I'm not scaling the wall until you like promise me something really nice on the other side that I actually want. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't really afford in my current situation to sign up for a bunch of these, but like it, assuming that I had like uh, an income stream of, of some form. Yeah. The, the reason I bring this up is I did find a paywall that, Maybe is the best paywall I've seen and the best model for it, mm. which is the um, the office hours model. Okay. Um, the Tim Heidecker like breakfast call in show. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've seen that occasionally on YouTube, and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I suppose I could get into this. I've never been a huge fan of Tim Heidecker, but I kind of like him. I, I like him a lot, but, you know. I like the idea of the show, especially that it's like the format of like a breakfast call in show. Sure. And like I accidentally stumbled across it when it was actually being broadcast live and it happened to be the morning in Australia somehow. Mm. And it was kind of nice to just tune in while it was actually live. And I think it's a pretty good show, it's like especially when they just do, they, they just excerpt clips from uh, Bill Maher's Club Random Show, <laughs> <laughs> which is very funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And doesn't even require them to be funny at all because you can just like excerpt no. any like piece of that show and just like show it and be like, all right, here we go. Here's a laugh for the next five yeah, minutes. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but I really like the way they do this show. So mm-hmm. I just assumed it was an hour show when I hadn't seen it. I just see it show, show up on YouTube. as like his office hours live. It's an hour or an hour and a half. 
And when I finally watched an entire episode, you get to the end of it and they're like, uh, if you want to see the rest of the episode, which is uh, another hour at least, I think, that's when you sign up to the, the paywall. Ah, interesting. And I think that's a really good model because it's like, well, you've given me like a generous amount of stuff. And, yeah. and, and you do actually feel that pain when it's getting to the end. You're like, oh, no, I was kind of enjoying it. And there's stuff that they've mentioned that they're going to do in the second half of the show that you're not going to see. And I think that's a really good balance that if I had the money and maybe if I liked the show a little bit more, mm-hmm. I would probably do. Mm-hmm. So that's just what I wanted to shout out on the podcast. So when, when we uh, adopt our... Uh... <laughs> Patreon model will be copied there, right? It's pretty good. I think it's much better than just signing up and having, oh, you get access to our like little bonus episode every month or the worst of all, mm. access to our Discord server. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually <laughs> useless. <laughs> it is funny though because like, um, not to get into detail myself, but I did go through something recently mm-hmm. and I've been trying to, when I've been playing music while I'm cooking and stuff, I've been trying to like select a record, a grief record that like matches that vibe Um, because there's certain things that just won't feel appropriate to put on stuff that's like too positive, too happy, too buoyant. Yeah. Um, So I've been like auditioning various records to find like the appropriate one that fits fits the mood. Um, A a top contender was uh, On the Beach by by Neil Young. Mm. That's that's a really good record for that. So is um, Time Fades Away. And mm. uh, tonight's the night because mm. they're all kind yeah. of grief records. Yeah, they're all a little uh, depressing. And you, when you want to like mire yourself in misery a little bit, so so is after the gold rush. <laughs> I didn't think to try that, but yeah. What else did I listen to? I I, I thought the mountain goats would kind of fit the mood, and they kind of did. Mm. Um, I listened to a record by the Triffers that I used to like called Born Sandy Devotional. Mm. And um, I hated it. <laughs> like, I liked it as a teenager, but like, it's so like self-consciously serious and and dark that a lot of that stuff just really rubs me the wrong way. Like Nick yeah. Cave, and yeah, and he's definitely. he's the Triffids are an Australian band, and he's often the guy who sings and writes the songs is often compared to Nick Cave, mm. David McComb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think died of like a heroin overdose in the nineties. Oh man, or something very self-destructive at that point but like the reissue the cd the deluxe cd reissue of this record which is supposed to be their classic album has like a reprint of his notebook Mm -hmm. and um it made me especially sad because it was like so similar to the notebooks that i would write about the music that i was recording (laughs) Mm -hmm. it would like he would he would come up with like reference point lists of like yeah these are the songs i I want to sound like, I want to capture this vibe on this song and like writing ideas for arrangements and stuff. Very like similar. It reminded me of my like juvenile self up to my early 20s when I was doing that kind of stuff. And it even had like this note at the end of it Mm. where he's writing to himself. And I'm sure that he's writing these notes self-consciously thinking that someday this is going to be reprinted in a deluxe reissue of this album because it's going to be a classic. I'm sure he's thinking about that. Now, now I just have to kill myself by taking yes. heroin. <laughs> and I, I'm sure he's thinking that because I probably thought that while I was writing the same notes. So mm. probably always self-consciously thinking about one day someone will look at this. So 
<laughs> I'm going to write things that I don't need to write and make this look wow. kind of a certain way, probably. I can't escape that sort of hyper self-consciousness. But he wrote this mm. note at the end of it, uh, which was similar to the famous Matthew Arnold quote about, um, you know, I, I'll, I will kind of butcher this, but it's like sad to see a man who has frittered away his talent, mm. right? But the sadder thing is to see a man who has fully invested everything of himself into his art but has found himself come up short to, you know, his own standards. Mm. So someone who's really tried but turned out to be mediocre as opposed to mm. being mediocre and having that plausible deniability of like, well, I never really applied myself properly because I was a mess. Mm. That's my excuse as well. But that there's a kind of similar sentiment at the end of this reprint of the booklet Mm-hmm. where he says, like, I do wonder if I'm one of the great ones and like, or if this <laughs> is just like a waste of my, my life and uh, you know, this is a mediocre bit of work or something like that. That made me real sad. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, it's, I think it's a pretty bad record. There's some really good songs that I like, maybe two songs I think are pretty good. Uh, but everything mm-hmm. else is like mired by that kind of self-consciousness that I hate in my own work. So when sure. I recognize it in others, I resent it even more and I'm even harsher on them. So there you go. It's <laughs> like a healthy relationship with yourself. But um, you wouldn't think that T-Rex is the best uh, grief partner <laughs> when you're putting on a record. Uh, but, um, you know, I've, I, I think like a darker record like Zinc Alley and the Hidden Writers of Tomorrow, which is a masterpiece, suits that. <laughs> uh-huh. And I've also been listening a lot to um, Futuristic Dragon. Mm-hmm. So there's a song on that record called Dawnstorm, which is, I think, his best ballad. Mm-hmm. Not many people think of T-Rex ballads, but that is a ballad and it's a great ballad, a great soul ballad. Um, and that sometimes makes me cry anyway, but in, in mm-hmm. the current situation, it definitely makes me cry. Mm-hmm. So that's, I put on that record and it, it really fits the mood even if Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of buoyant material on there, as there always is on a T-Rex record. Mm -hmm. Um, But the best part of that, because I should actually disclose something about what happened, which is a friend of mine I used to work with passed away. Mm -hmm. And there's that emotional catharsis when when the record gets to the penultimate track, which is Dawnstorm. So there's that release with that track. Mm -hmm. And then the very next song... And this was not pre-planned. I didn't uh, think about this in advance when I was trying to look for a record. Mm-hmm. It's a song called Casual Agent. And the hook is, I want to be your casual agent. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but it means something very uh, direct about uh, the person who I lost, who I worked mm-hmm. with at a call center where mm-hmm. the people on the phones were called agents. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I was a casual agent, so mm-hmm. <laughs> my contract was casual and I was an agent on the phones. So it was a weird, like, connection with that particular record. But um, it's a great record. It means that T-Rex is the perfect record. For any man. Uh, sorry, T-Rex is the perfect band, no matter what you're going through. Yeah, I still, I, 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 I've had trouble getting into them. I can't lie. But you don't have to get into them. <laughs> uh, they will find you one day. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> as they did me because like I grew up not listening to T-Rex they were like a footnote <laughs> I grew in rock up uh, not, not knowing what T-Rex was so 
like much of um, you know a certain era of of rock history that is canonized, mm. my chief experience of them is what I imagined them to be like based on like reading record reviews. Sure. And the narrative was always the same. It's like, oh, isn't it weird that this like guy who had like a hippie bongo band yeah. in the 60s and, and sung about like Tolkien and stuff, uh, you know, started to sing these like uh, stripped down glam rock anthems about cars and girls. Mm-hmm. And um, that was always part of the narrative. And then the other part of the narrative was, of course, like, and then fame went to his head and they stopped being successful and then all the other records are terrible and horrible, <laughs> which is uh, demonstrably false. Demonstrably, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, so I would, like, preemptively write them off and I would, mm. I, I was never, I, I probably knew Get It On and I was never mm. a big fan of it back in the day. Mm. I wasn't sophisticated enough to appreciate it. So, you know, you just kind of file them away. You have this image of in your head, you have like the one song you know, and then you file them away for mm-hmm. years. And it took until I was traveling in 2017 and I happened to be in a bar in England that was playing the best of T-Rex mm-hmm. that I was like, wow, every single one of these songs is like really great. So I should probably listen to T-Rex. Mm-hmm. And then I did, but I stopped where they told me to stop. I stopped at like the slider and tanks. Mm-hmm. You know, where it starts mm-hmm. to go from the five star records to four and a half. Yeah. And then it really drops off a cliff after that. So I was like, I maybe I won't get those records. Um, mm-hmm. but I did see like deluxe reissues of Futuristic Dragon in record shops, which is the record I'm I was just speaking about, with its amazing cover of Mark Boland on a, on a futuristic dragon. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm like, I was like, I was I was going to buy it and I didn't. I was like, oh, maybe I won't pay $35. You know, <laughs> I, people don't like this record. That is a lot. But I loved the other the other two records so much. I was just listening to them constantly that I was like, I'd, no, I'd, I do regret not buying that record. So I went back to the shop and it was gone. Mm. That's why you always got to buy everything. And then I was sad about that. And I was like, oh, well, if I see it again, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the other records of, of T-Rex stuff if I see them for cheap or something. Mm. And then I eventually read... Um, an article on the quietest of all places mm-hmm. where in contrast to everything else I'd ever read about T-Rex, someone was actually defending all the later albums. And in fact, he said, and I fully stand behind him, there are no mm-hmm. bad T-Rex records. <laughs> and that was enough to, to convince me to shell out the, mm-hmm. uh, the import fees to source all of them online and acquire mm-hmm. them. And, um, I don't think there has been any purchase in my entire lifetime that has made me happier mm-hmm. than those T-Rex records. So end mm-hmm. of speech. But I think it'd be good to ask you if you've had a similar experience where you're feeling bad about something mm-hmm. and you've wanted to put on music to kind of reflect that in mm-hmm. a way or counterbalance it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Have you had that experience? And if so, which records? I feel like it's something that I experienced when I was a teenager. Uh, yeah, well, reason. I mean, that's 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 the best time for it, certainly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the one that it really comes to mind is the there's an American indie band who I don't really like now uh, called The Antlers. Have you ever listened to them? I don't think so, no. Uh, they're kind of just an indie rocker, but they have this album called Hospice, which is about 
you know, so, someone died in hospice care, basically, mm-hmm. and in, like an abusive relationship. <laughs> yeah, uh, that uh, really spoke to me when I was like a, a super depressed uh, a teenager, and I, I listened to this album just like over and over again, just like like constantly. <laughs> Because uh, it, 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 yeah, it felt like it was a, 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 a like making the exact move that I, I had been feeling uh, like completely external. Um, so that's a good way of putting it because it doesn't it doesn't apply to other media. Like yeah. you wouldn't want to read a sad book or watch a sad no. film or listen to a sad podcast. That would just make you feel horrible. But something about music gives you that that catharsis. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Have you ever gone back and listened to it? Not Hospice. I do like one of their other albums quite a bit called uh, uh, Familiars. Uh, I like that one a lot. It's a little less like um, maximalist. It's a little more like uh, uh, restrained and kind of uh, zonked out in this depressive mood, which I can relate to better now, I guess. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I feel like that's the main experience that I had. Uh, okay. With that, with that. Particular phenomenon. On that note, let's talk about someone who has lost a lot and is maybe gaining something <laughs> back. <laughs> lost more than any of us, really. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah that, that's our good friend Spawn. How is Spawn doing this week? Well, not too good, or so it seems. <laughs> uh, so uh, he's had his heart ripped out by uh, the violator. Uh, go. <laughs> uh, that's too bad. Who's, who's the violator? So the violator is this big evil demon guy who sometimes looks looks like a juggalo. Mm, okay. And uh, yeah, he rips out Spawn's heart. All right. And you're like, oh no, our, our boy's done for. Mm-hmm. But like, Spawn's like, yeah, is that the best you got? <laughs> and the violator's like, what? <laughs> It's <laughs> uh-huh. like, but, 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 that's impossible. I ripped out your heart. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then uh, the violator's like, but, 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 but he said I'd be stronger than him. And you're like, hmm, what are they referring to? This is, this is intriguing. Uh-huh. So they have a big fight. Um, they start ripping each other's hearts out, cutting each other's arms off. Neither one of them seems to be terribly impaired by um, mm-hmm. uh, said injuries. Oh, excuse me. And uh, eventually, <gasps> here comes Big Daddy Demon, mm-hmm. the guy who Spawn made a deal with and who uh-huh. also made a deal with the Violator. Uh-huh. And we learn what, what's, what this is all about. Oh, my God. The answers to all the questions that you've had the last couple of weeks? Yeah. Wow. So he's a demon from hell, right? Uh, Daddy Demon. He actually mm-hmm. refers to Spawn and the Violator in um, parental terms several times. Mm. And um, it turns out that uh, he's trying to amass an army of evil ones, demons and such, to take on the good ones, the angels and such. Mm-hmm. So he wants to fight God and his army. Okay. And he has recruited Spawn. He explains mm. this by saying, oh, you were a, a highly trained hired killer mm. who died. And there's not many of those. 
That's literally what he said. That left me a bit perplexed. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's a little strange. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> It was yeah. It was a description that he says, which made me think there must be like hundreds of people that fit that description. Like this yeah. guy's not special, and he <laughs> yeah. didn't say like you're the best like hired killer on the planet. No, you just, just like oh, you're a highly trained killer who died, and you know had had something that he wanted <laughs> yes. to live for. Yeah, again, probably many people, but anyway. Well, <laughs> so that's how we made the deal with Spawn. Like you can come back if you be part of my army or something. Mm. And um, he sent the Violator to keep an eye on Spawn. He wasn't supposed to rip his heart out. Mm. So he kind of chides the Violator. He's like, you've been a naughty wow. boy, naughty juggalo. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, then he discloses to Spawn, his plan is kind of incoherent, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure the gaps will well, be filled I'm in. Sure he's a, I'm sure he's a little incoherent as a person, so... But, like, he he reveals to Spawn the fact that the powers he gave him Mm -hmm. will actually drain his life and he'll die a second time eventually if he keeps using his powers. Okay. So he's kind of placed him on Earth. I don't know how this is part of his plan to recruit him, but he's placed him on Earth to, like, test him because he's like, can you stand idly by while the evil persecute the weak? And not use your powers. What? <laughs> knowing that if you use your powers, it'll drain your life force and you'll eventually die again. What? I, I don't really understand, like, yeah, but if he's, like, like so powerful test. and everything, like, why, why you can't just recruit him. But anyway, we won't, we won't pick too many holes <laughs> in this. Every question we ask will be answered in the future. So he... Uh, he nerfs, <laughs> he nerfs uh, the violator temporarily, presumably. Uh, so he gets stuck in human juggalo form. Mm. He can't turn into the big demon guy for the moment, mm. for the nonce. Mm. Spawn, meanwhile, wears a trench coat. Okay. And uh, wonders what to do. Mm. So that's what's been happening. Quite an eventful uh, week in Spawn's life. Yeah, just like it's a... Uh eventful week in all of our lives you know go out there do something that you weren't uh expecting to do just go and live a little bit good advice for us all and uh best advice for the horse and uh that's been that's been hour of the horse goodbye and good good luck
of Brown Pulse.